If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com Registered Training Organisation 31352 Today's guest is Jenny Brockman. Jenny's got a busy riding school or an equestrian centre on the outside of Perth. She used to compete in FEI dressage and also did some eventing, but now focuses the time on teaching her students in show horse and dressage. How are you today, Jenny? I'm very well, thanks, Gwyneth. And you? Oh, wonderful. wonderful. And the weather's much better That's than the good. last time I was talking to you over here. Yes, I know. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know. Thank goodness we're not in Victoria today. Yes, yes. <laughs> They're getting flooded out. <laughs> they are. They are. I had someone earlier that um, is from Victoria and she did have to send a bit of an urgent message that they were flooding. So hopefully she's okay. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Yeah. Anyway, Jenny, have you got a favourite quote for us today? So, and something that you use, um, yeah, either inspirational or else you use it often in a lesson. Well, I do. I, I have actually, Glennis. One of my favourite inspirational quotes, which I use quite regularly, is your horse will be your best coach you ever have. And I use this quite regularly. You can have level three coaches, you can have level two coaches, but your horse is going to tell you when it's going beautifully and when it's going softly and when it's happy and when it trusts you, then you know you're riding well. Yeah, so my greatest quote is, your horse will be your best coach you ever have. It teaches the students, though, to actually listen to the horse and not treat them as a machine mm. if they're thinking mm. that the horse is going to tell them something, isn't it? Some bit of empathy. Exactly. The horse will just tell you exactly how it feels, how it's travelling, whether it can cope with what you're asking it to do, whether it understands what you're asking it to do and all those sort of things. So, mm. yeah, learn to listen to your horse. Yep. Yep. All right, now, Jenny, I know that your school has been going for over 50 years. Is that right? Well, it's been going a very long time. Mm. I actually married my husband, Vernon, who was running Brockman's Riding School down in Bass in um, south of Bustleton. Mm -hmm. And then when I married him, I was actually a phys ed teacher. And uh, then he became a racehorse trainer and we moved to Perth or moved to south of Perth. And I continued to teach phys ed for some time and then bit by bit started getting involved in teaching lessons sort of after school and what have you. And then gradually sort of focused on more and more riding and less and less school teaching until eventually it became a full-time business. Mm-hmm. And that's virtually how it um, how it eventuated. But they had a very old established riding school down south, which numerous people in Western Australia used to go to. I'd never have had the numbers that he used to have. <laughs> they used okay. to have millions of kids. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yep. But in those days, of course, you know, there wasn't the iPhone and the iPad and there wasn't quite as much entertainment. So to go to a horse riding camp and, and uh, to have lessons was, you know, a big deal in those days. And mm. he was a very, very successful show jumping rider and he actually competed quite successfully over East as well. So then he became a course builder before he became a horse trainer. 
Yeah, so I didn't have any choice, really. <laughs> <laughs> good variety. Good variety of skills, though, isn't yeah, it? You know, it's a lot of the time yeah, we do is. go from, from one thing to another to another. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I must admit, the phys ed teaching has always held me in good speed for teaching people to, to ride anyway, because yeah. once you've established teaching skills, you've got them whatever yes. phase yes. of area you're going to teach in it's knowing how to teach that's so important yeah yeah well you've got yeah. to have the it's not just the teaching skills it's the knowledge of horses too but if it's you've the had knowledge the both, of course it yeah, is yeah yeah all right now how did you get involved with horses well originally I came from a little country town called Beverly we had a, a farming property up there my dad was a sheep and um wheat farmer mainly and we had a farm called Jumclar which is a Scottish name, and my mother, who was a city girl and married a, a farmer in those days, couldn't work to, to um, have horses on the property. Mm-hmm. She hadn't had a lot of opportunities to ever ride, so when she had four children, three daughters and one son, she was adamant that they were going to have the pleasures of riding that she missed out on as a young girl. Mm-hmm. So she bought us the trotter. And uh, we duly fell off at the Rock Heap every day. And I think we spent more days in the emergency hospital at Beverly than anywhere else. But that's another story. And then she started, she was an avid reader, Glenys. Mm-hmm. And she read and read and read and decided that if she was going to be living on this property in Beverly, she might as well start getting some ponies for her children and proper ponies. So she bought a few ponies. The first she actually bought for me as a pony was a pony stallion. <laughs> then, I'm just uh, thinking you went you went from a trotter that you were falling <laughs> off all the time, and I now did. you've gone to a pony I stallion. Know. Yeah, pony stallion. It was quite an experience, I can guarantee. But just shows you how keen we were. Yeah. She then learned more, and she finally got me the most beautiful pony called Coochin Greylight the Third, who I absolutely fell in love with. He was about twelve two, a little white grey pony from the Coochin stud, um, which was a very famous stud in those days. And there, I just took to it like a duck to water and never looked back. Mm-hmm. My older sister was a very good rider and also uh, later on my younger sister also became an extremely good rider and we sort of each had our own ponies and then with the stallion that she bought me, she decided to keep him as a stallion and start a little pony stud. So that's how the Drum Climb Pony Stud, which is very, very famous in Western Australia and it has produced some outstanding ponies, even winning successfully on the East Coast and even being sold as far as New Zealand. So they have been terrific ponies and um, so I've had many a drum car pony to ride, school, educate and hence when I started my riding school I had this lovely selection of ponies um, to use in my riding school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But my mum who... um, as I said, became an avid reader. She read more and more and decided, yes, she needed to upgrade her ponies from the Coogan stud. So she then went east and bought a lovely stallion, the Cavan Dominic from over east and, and used him in a stud. And then all this time she had been using her child endowment money, which wasn't a lot, but she was saving it and saving it instead of spending it on the grocery, she put it in the bank. And she bought some nickel shares, Glenis. Mm-hmm. And then eventually in the 70s, there was a nickel boom. And she sold all her nickel shares and she bought enough money to jump on an aeroplane. My sister at that stage, my elder sister, was in England and she bought herself a Range Rover, drove around Wales and said, well, I'll have this stallion, that stallion, this mare, that mare, this mare. And she bought all these mares, stallions. Mares were all in foal with foals at foot, landed them in Sydney by plane, rang up Dad and said, I'm broke, I can't get them from Sydney to Perth, you'll have to pay the rent. (laughs) (laughs) That was quite a good story. 
sorry, for the poor old sheep farm had to bring these beautiful stallions and beautiful mares back to Perth. And, of course, she crossed those with her Australian ponies and they have been the absolute basics of my riding school and many a child who has ridden and competed in Western Australia for several decades. Wow. She is still alive today. She is 92. I still have some of her ponies. My oldest pony is Drumcar Bushbug, who is 37 years of age. And he has travelled to the East Coast six times, Gwyneth, and the last trip was just too much for him. He just couldn't stand the travelling any longer, mm-hmm. and he qualified to go several times after that, but we decided that was it. He won at Sydney Royal, mm-hmm. and he also went right up Grand National in Sydney in, in 1995. Mm-hmm. So there you mm-hmm. go. Well, I, I know that you've got some great, yeah, great quality mm. ponies. So I know now where they came yes, from and what the story was. They were, well, yeah. they're all English. They're all English. They've all got English ancestors somewhere in their in their genes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there you go. Yep. Mm. And you compete a lot with your ponies too, don't you? They they have. They we do. do some. Yeah. I've competed. I've competed a lot with the ponies. Mm. Not so much these days as I'm getting older. But I think the worst I ever had at a royal show was 16. Mm. And that was the biggest, biggest number I competed with. Mm-hmm. These days, we just take a handful and, yeah, it's just a sign of the times. You get older, there's other younger people that, that are doing the, the show scene and they're more fashionable and, yeah, and so people tend to, to veer to the younger generation, which I understand. Yep. And yep. Um, so, yeah, we still take a handful. I still keep my hand in there and uh, I still do quite a bit of judging. Good, So. Good. And I still train and school them. It's just that I'm not interested in riding completing myself. Okay, okay. So you've got a lot of younger Ooh. younger people there that you're working with. Now, with those younger yes, people, younger yeah, people. with the younger ones that come up and want to have a career with horses, what sort of skills do you think they need? Because you, you, you've got some there yourself on your team. What sort of personality traits do they need or core skills or what sort of things to have a career or even just help at a busy riding school? What are you looking for? Well, they've got to have a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. They've got to have huge initiative, a lot of energy, a lot of motivation. They've got to have good people skills. And I'm not talking about just good people skills with clients. It's also with staff. They've got to be able to get on together and work as a team. You know, they've got to have a rapport with with the other people and be able to make allowances for other people's strengths and weaknesses. And, of course, they've got to have a decent depth of knowledge of horses and be interested and be passionate because if you're not interested and passionate, it's just slave labour. Sure. Simple as that. Yep, yep, (laughs) yep. No, it is. It is. It's It's not an easy life, Bennett. It's not an easy life, especially if you don't want to do it. Yep. Yep. No, you, it's it's something you've got to be passionate about, and it doesn't go away. But it's there, ongoing, every day. Mm-hmm. And a lot of organisation skills to make life easy for you and for all staff and pupils and clients concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, there's quite a bit of organisation that has to go into running a stable yep. and making yep. sure that everything runs as smoothly as it possibly can. Yes, yes. So yeah. you, as the person, then that um you know, that owns the riding school, what sort of leadership skills do you think you need to have? Well, obviously I've got to have good people skills. Yep. I've got to have good teaching skills. And in our business these days, I think more than ever, your teaching skills are important. Mm -hmm. Look, I see lessons quite regularly. We all have to attend update clinics yearly 
to mm-hmm. keep our qualifications updated, to keep our so that we don't go off track and start teaching things we shouldn't be teaching, and to keep ourselves modern in the new ways of the, the horse riding in the equestrian world. But I think importantly. You've got to be able to have good people skills. You've got to be able to handle people. If you can't handle people and a lot of patients, you're really going to struggle because it's it's not just the horse that gets hurt today or the client that cancels the lesson, you know, at the last yep. minute. It's actually being able to monitor people and being aware being aware when someone's not going to get on with that person and trying to sort of work out a way that we can marry them together because each person has terrific skills. Individual. Whether they're in work ethics, yeah, individual mm. skills. Whether mm. they're in work ethics, knowledge of horses, but sometimes you get a classic clash of personality. So you've got to be able to be fully aware of those and um, you know, be on the ball. Yep. Yep. Okay. Not easy. Not easy. It's I find the hardest thing about running a riding school is not the horses, it's the people. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, okay. it's just making sure that everyone is because it's got to be enjoyable. If it's not enjoyable, mm. there's no point doing it. Mm. So it's mm. got to be enjoyable for clients, for workers, for staff, for everyone concerned. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard thing, keeping everyone, okay. you know, where it is enjoyable. Okay. Now, what, yeah. about, what about people who've influenced you? You've talked about your mother. Yes, well, she's obviously a great influence. Yes. Look, I thought about this and I, I sort of would have to say two people in particular outside my mother. Mm-hmm. And one is Franz Moringa, mm-hmm. who was my first Olympic coach I'd ever had. And he just blew me away, frightened the living daylights out of me to start telling the <laughs> truth, but, <laughs> but was just so full of knowledge. And I first met him at the ripe age of 16 years. And a young teenager, I think um, he had more knowledge than we knew what to do with and he not only taught me a lot but he I was fascinated when I watched him ride I don't know how we're going for time but I have a gorgeous little story I'd love to tell you oh for sure Um, yep look Glenis this gentleman was uh, involved in the Spanish riding school yes and was one of the Spanish riding school's most avid riders and then came out to Australia after the war couldn't speak English worked on the wharves look I can go on and tell you the story but I won't but he eventually through various avenues became involved in the equestrian world of Australia and finally became our Olympic coach Mm Prior to that, he was travelling around each state and doing clinics. The first clinic I went to, his was actually at the Royal Showgrounds. In those days, there were no indoor arenas up or anything like that. And I remember him screaming and yelling at me, and I came out bawling my eyes out (laughs) and thought, I've never had a man scream and yell at me about my riding. I felt useless and I was crying. And this young girl came up to me and said, well, Jenny, he actually never stopped harassing you, but he never said a thing to me. So I think he's interested in your writing. Oh, <laughs> so wow. I, yep. I yep. thought, oh, yeah. So I looked at it. But you see, you, and that's another way you've got to look at things, you mm. see, because I'd never looked at it in that sphere. He uh, was also a great philosopher. After our lessons, we used to have lectures after lunch before we had a, a second lesson in the afternoon. And he was a great philosopher. And he taught us so much. We sopped it all up. He used to demonstrate. We'd never seen a rider, Glenis, like this, remember? Mm-hmm. We're 16 yes. years of age with limited with limited coaching in those days. Yes. And we had a young friend also, just funnily enough, came from the same country town as me. Her name was Pam Haddad. And she had this beautiful, magnificent thoroughbred called Gay Pam. Mm-hmm. 
And when he saw it, he fell in love with it and he wanted to take it home to the Olympics and use it in the Australian team. And to cut a long story short, she allowed him to take it home. She was struggling to manage it. And in those days, we just didn't have the skills, the knowledge, the time. And we didn't have someone coaching us all the time. Mm. So anyway, Gay Pam went back to the East Coast, was trained as one of the Olympic uh, horses. Mm. And unfortunately, broke down prior to the Olympics. So she was sent back. The horse was sent back to Pam Haddad, her original owner, who then proceeded to keep her. And when we went to another clinic sometime later, Franz came over and we were in the same, I was having a, a group lesson with Pam on her horse, Gay Pam, and she was having all sorts of problems managing this horse. Now, this horse had a lot of education, but she was still struggling. I mean, it was a very flighty thoroughbred. Anyway, he brought the group back to walk, said, come in, everybody, come in and line up on the centre line. And he said to Pam, please dismount. (laughs) And so she jumped off and he said, I will show you this horse. He mounted this horse and this horse just went into this softest, roundest frame at halt you have ever seen and just became submissive instantly by this man just mounting this horse. Mm. She had absolute trust in this man, absolute respect, and it was the biggest lesson. You know, I, mm. I, I mm. just saw this for my own eyes and I thought, my goodness, isn't that amazing? And so that is why he is one of my biggest inspirational influences that I could ever, ever mm imagine. The other person is Mrs. Nadine Merriweather, who is a very famous woman over here and also a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And she has coached me through many a horse and many a competition and has mentored me through my coaching qualifications and has been there for just general advice and just help and has always got a simple answer for everything in a very matter-of-fact way but a very common sense, friendly way. And I take my hat off to Nid. She is just the best. Mm-hmm. She's also won a grand national title from Western Australia, which is something to behold. And yeah, so as far as they would be the other two outside my mum, yes, <laughs> that I yes. can absolutely say 100% that they have definitely influenced me. Yep, 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 that's good. Now, they're people, yeah. and you've talked a little bit about horses, even though Gay yep. Pam wasn't yours, you know, just that impression you got. You've talked about year old yeah. horse who, who, you know, 37 years and this, the original yeah. stallion and then all the stallions and mares from the UK. And it's really hard to, you know, for people that have had influence from so many horses. Is there a standout or a horse that, that some influenced oh, you more than yes. others? Bushbug would have to be the standout. Bushbug, Bushbug would have to be yep. the standout. Yeah, he's the one that's 37 now and he's still alive. Uh-huh. I mean, any horse that can still be 37 years of age and still do his flying changes with a tiny weeny little step. These days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a big stride, but he, you know, he's he's a bit like not in the same league as France, but do you know the moment I, I usually ride him twice a week, it might only be for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and mm. it's, it's nothing difficult. But you know, the moment I get on him, he just tries to please me and do what he used to be able to do. Isn't that great? And yep. I just yep. say, oh, look, he and he he looks at me with that loving eye and just totally trusts and respects me. Mm. And I would have to say, without a doubt, Bushbug is 
is my number one. And I had a lovely thoroughbred who was a precinct George horse and then became a, a lovely schoolmaster in the riding school. And he, that was private account, mm-hmm. and his stable name was Frank. And he, we fought through thick and thin for two years. But when he finally decided that he was going to become a dressage horse, he was just the most willing, clever horse that, I have ridden, and he not not a stunning looking horse, Glennis, but mm. just try, and but it took me two years to break through. <laughs> but then he used to follow me around the paddock. The kids used to climb all over him from the fences, and he just became an absolute angel. Mm-hmm. So he was, you know, probably my number two. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. All right, now I'm going to get you to put on your coaching cap and think about a common problem that you see that could be riders preparing for dressage or showing or whatever. What's a common problem you see but also how to fix it? Well, don't rush things. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the way of the world is rush now, isn't it, really? But just give them time to let them talk to you. I mean, every day they're going to ride differently. They're not Mm -hmm. going to ride the same two days running. And I think people have got to understand that. And, like, when I go out there and I see people starting prepare to do a test or prepare to go out into the show ring, I'm hoping that they're going to give their ponies or horses or whatever they're on time to just soften, relax, find their feet, get their mojo going and uh, not rush. But these days, um, it's being able to understand. It takes a long time to to be able to understand that they need time to just adjust. I mean, I've had horses that get out of floats and, you know, they start off stiff just from the float trip. And if people would just give them that little bit of time, they'll perform to their absolute best. Horses are really willing animals on the whole and they really want to please. So if you just give them that little bit of time to to adjust to where they are, what they're doing, what you want them to do, and have a bit of empathy for them, a bit of understanding, a bit of empathy. And um, they'll they'll give you as best as they're capable of doing. Yep, yep. But that comes with knowledge too, Glennis, and time and patience. And I see a lot of people, uh, you know, tying horses down and, and I, you know, trying to get them into a frame when they're not ready or they're not strong enough. And yes, they are successful, but, you know, a couple of years later, where are the horses? Yeah. They're just, they're gone. Yeah. They just, yeah. they don't last. Mm. So, but, you know, the, the way of the world seems to be rush, rush, rush these days for whatever <laughs> reason. Mm. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory with practical components that can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website, again, is onlinehorsecollege.com. Thanks. All right. Now, I'm just going to go back to your ponies because we talked about your ponies that you've got, the ones that you use for the school and their background. If you were going to select any others, what do you look for in a riding school horse? You know, a horse that's going to go out and do a job and be ridden by a variety of riders, you know, a variety of – things that they need to do, but they need to be fairly consistent. What are you looking for there? Well, Kenneth, number one, you've got to have temperament. 
Some yes. horses just aren't suitable to have different riders on their backs. Yep. So, you know, some horses just are one-on-ones. You've got to go for the more experienced horses. If you're going to buy young horses for riding schools, it's a long-term project. Mm-hmm. You can't put them into the riding school for many, many years. Well, I wouldn't personally anyway. Mm-hmm. My horses that go into riding school have all been ridden by experienced riders for several years, depending on their nature. Yep. They have competed at royal show level. I don't care if they don't do any good. That doesn't bother me. It's just the fact that they go out and they become more worldly. They grow up five years after having been for a royal show and coping with the atmosphere of a royal show. So every horse that I own that goes into a riding school must compete at a royal show, whether it goes in, round and out, mm-hmm. whether it goes in a breeding class or whatever, it's got to go mm-hmm. for the atmosphere just to see if it's going to make that cut mm-hmm. to be a riding school horse. Okay. I've had a couple that have, have been failed police horses mm-hmm. that have been super-duper riding school horses. They haven't quite been – haven't been able to cope enough with it, what the police put on them, the pressure they have to have there, but they're more than capable of doing a riding school career. So, But most of the ponies, most of the ponies have come from my mother's mm-hmm. stud. Yes. Or a progeny of that stud, and they have the most outstanding temperaments you mm-hmm. could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, they've all got to be schooled and educated. They have to go through their primary school years, they have to go through their secondary school years, and they have to go to university, and then they have to go out in the <laughs> workforce for a while before they're allowed to come in. Yeah. Because remember, they are our best coach. Mm, so mm, mm. if you want to put them in as coaches into your riding school, and I ride them, or one of my Three competitive riders will get on them at least once a week just to rebuild their confidence and keep them on track. So no riding school horse of mine ever goes from one recreational rider or one rider to another without being Mm -hmm. uh, ridden at least once a week by us. And that's why they all last and go along. And if you have a look at my website, you'll see how old they are. Some of them are ancient, (laughs) but they just keep trucking around and keep teaching kids to ride and keep teaching adults to ride and so forth. So. That, I reckon, is the absolute most important thing, is just re-establishing their confidence, re-establishing their balance and their trust in being ridden. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you've got a few. How many have you got at the moment? Well, if you look at my website, there's probably a couple that have just been sold, Mm. but usually between 27 and 30, anywhere around about there. Okay. Okay. Although, as I say, as I'm sitting here talking to you, I am (laughs) downsizing. I have just sold two in the last month. Okay. So I am trying to downsize. I'm 67, Glenys, and I want to get down to about 12, 15 is plenty. You know, my business is not as busy as it used to be. Mm-hmm. The costs are astronomical, and so I just want to get down to adjusting for my regular competition riders and maybe having a handful of schoolies just to bring a few people on and then let them go and get their own horse after. Okay. What what about cost saving? Yeah, cost saving tips because you said they they cost, you know, horrendous. Astronomical. Yeah, yeah. Astronomical. Well, if you come and look at my place, I mean, mine is a very unique riding school and I probably shouldn't have called it riding school, but when I started it back when I was late 20s, it was the name you used. Now it probably should be called a a training centre as you mentioned on your introduction. Every horse of mine is boxed and yarded with a sheltered box at night. So each horse is individually fed, rugged. Doesn't matter if they're 28 or if they're Mm 8. They all have their own yards and boxes at night. So they're all hand-fed 
which is a huge expense and a huge labour-intensive business. I don't have enormous acreage. I lease some land from the government, but I actually keep the riding school on a five-acre property with a couple of paddocks that I rent just around locally, plus a big acreage down the road. So all my horses, I'm on retic paddocks, but all my horses are individually boxed and yarded at night time. Okay. So how you save money doing that, I don't know. <laughs> it's not easy. But that is why they last so long. Mm, you know, mm. people say, how do they last so long? And I said, well, because they're looked after. Yep. They're looked after so well and they're treated so well. It's mm. not like a general run-of-the-mill riding school. Mm-hmm. And anyone who wanted to come and have a look, and everyone that comes here said they're just blown away by the condition of them. I mean, they're all clipped, they're all rugged in winter. You know, it's as if they're going to a royal show. Yep. So, yep. you know, how you... if So to save costs, what you've got to do is be ruthless, I suppose, and throw them all out in a great big paddock together or something. <laughs> I don't know. But then, you know, you've got all the other problems of getting hurt and pet building. Sure. Yeah. And and it sounds like know you, you know, you're you're really looking at for the long term because while it may cost you more to do the extra boxing and even just to have the other riders riding them, they're lasting you a long time. You know, so what you're looking at is a long term Well, they're my tools of trade. They're yep. my tools of trade and, and I look after them like gold. And I had one ex client of mine, I won't mention names, and she rang me up some time ago and said, Oh, have you got any rickety ponies for my little girl that you want to get rid of? <laughs> and yeah. without mentioning names, and I said, well, no, not really. Where are you going to keep it? Oh, she said, well, just throw it down the paddock with all the other horses. And mm. I said, you know how long it'd last? It would be dead in a week. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. They don't understand, and my ponies wouldn't cope with that. So, mm. you know, I'm a bit like the queen. I remember when I went to England and I did a stable visit through her stables and I was fascinated with the tour guide who said that these horses stay here and work and are looked after until such time as they can't do the job any longer and then they go to heaven. And I was horrified and I I can remember saying, why on earth don't you sell them or give them away? Because he said nobody could afford to keep them to the manner to which they are accustomed and they would absolutely curl up and die. And when I thought about it, I thought, Well, that's so true. Mm. They have been boxed, rugged, groomed every day. And how would the Queen's horses ever survive anywhere else? Yeah. And so my poor little schoolies, in a similar situation, a long way down the line, it's a bit like that. So, Mm. you know, the the older ones will stay with me till it's time to go. But they last forever. Honestly, Mm. Glennis, if you look after them, they're amazing. Yep. 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 All right. Now, have you got a book that you could recommend for our listeners? Look, I have. I have, and it, I don't know how easy it is to get hold of these days, but it is okay. absolutely amazing, and that is Horses Are Made to Be Horses. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to be able to get that, but anyway. And do you know yeah. who it's by? Oh, France, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I've, I've actually had a couple of copies, and um, people keep pinching Have them. Have you? Yeah, but people keep pinching them. Oh, I know. Them. Well, I know. Well, Gladys, I had two or three copies, and I lent them to clients. I never got them back. Yeah. I've only got one old one now, but that is, if anyone can get hold of a copy, and do you know how it was put together? Can I tell you a little quick story if you don't? Yeah, no, tell me. I know that it was after or he someone died. someone might have already done, might, yeah. someone might have already done it on your interview, so I don't no, want to bore you. you no, no, you tell me. But what happened was, in the old days, when we 
we had our clinics with him. He used to do these lectures after lunch, you see. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we had never – we were like sponges. We just sopped up his knowledge. Mm. So we used to take these files along and just scribble down pages and pages of notes because we'd never heard any anything like this before. Yep. So what happened? When he died, his wife and best friend – contacted us all and said, would we submit all our lecture notes? And so we said, yeah, of course we would. And so each and every one of us submitted all our lecture notes. Mm. And through quite a long period of time, they put it together from all our lectures, and that was the book, Horses Are Made to Be Horses. So I don't know whether it's still available and whether you can get hold of it, but if anyone can, it is just the best reading. Yeah. And you know that, Glenys, from from reading it yourself. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but that's sort of showing our age, showing my age. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jenny. Now, tell me what you're looking forward to. You've got horses now. You've got riders that are showing and competing. Just tell me what you true what your plans are. I've gone well. I've I've sort of had to get a, a little bit of new stock in, mm-hmm. and seeing obviously my mother doesn't breed anymore because we actually in the end had to remove the final ponies from her stud and my sisters and I, my younger sister, Dinah, who was an eventing rider and she um, she actually represented Australia and South Africa in the Inter-Pacific Games many, many years ago. And my older sister, Felicity Perry, who we, all of us are uh, level two general coaches, mm-hmm. we uh, actually physically had to remove these ponies from, oh, <laughs> from no. the front pass stud. Yeah, but mum at 92 still lives on the farm. Mm-hmm. She lives at the stud with my brother who virtually is her carer now but she's still got her wits about she would tell you the most beautiful stories about her ponies and you know she it's just her body is you know her body is 92 years old the brain is still terrific sure but yeah so now i've moved on and i've bought some german riding ponies okay i bought a young two-year-old colt from melbourne and then I bought a stallion, a seven-year-old stallion. I have since gelded them because, obviously, in my environment, stallions, not that they probably would have been a lot of trouble, but you can't have them in a riding school. Mm. It's just too hard and too dangerous. So they were both gelded in Melbourne and stayed and were just there for some time until they recovered. And then they were brought over here, and they were the start of my German riding ponies. They're both by the most beautiful riding pony stallion who now is deceased, and that is Don Folino, who was imported by Christy Jarvis from Western Australia. Okay. And she has the lovely dynamic stallions, German riding ponies. And so I rode, I remember when he first came over, Don Felino, I rode, she brought him out for me to ride, and I fell in love with the first ride I had. And funnily enough, his great-great-great-grandfather is my Drumcly Bushbug's great-great-grandfather. Wow. So there you go, down okay. the Chevalier. Okay. So there's a little connection there, and they have the most beautiful pony brains. A lot of them is warm blood, but they have the best pony brains. And I think, given time, and they're only new in the country at the moment, but I think they are going to suit so many teenagers, small adults, people who don't want big horses. Mm-hmm. But And they do everything, Glennis. Yeah. So... I'm the biggest fan you'll ever find of Australian ponies, Welshies, <laughs> okay. park Welshies, mm-hmm. but they've also sold me on these German riding ponies. So I have quietly snuck a few into the to the 
um, stables here and one has just lightly started competing this year mm-hmm. and one actually won uh, two classes at the Royal Show this year and went supreme part Welsh exhibit in hand. Yep. His name is, um, well, his breeding name is slightly different. His uh, show name is Jiminy Cricket, but his breeding name is John, Don Giello. And the other young boy, he ran a third. So, And he was placed in everything at the Royal. It was the most disgusting weather. But look, he's only young and he hasn't arrived yet, but they're both going to be fantastic fights. I think they definitely are going to suit a variety of people. They jump, they dressage, they show. Like if you can find horses that do all those things. And and they've got great natures. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. But but as far as um, I've got some young kids that are out there at the moment just feeling their feet in the show ring. Mm -hmm. Now, whether they continue on, I've had a change. I've had a lot of teenagers who have got to year 12, year 12 studies and all those sort of things. Hormones have kicked in, all the usual (laughs) day-to-day things that happen and uh, have lost a little bit of interest. So the young ones that are coming through are the 11s and the 12s and that age group and Hopefully, they'll sort of go on and do bigger and better things with their riding careers. Good. But they're going really, really well. Good. Yeah. Now, before we finish, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today? You know, we've got a lot of what what you've said, but just a message for people to take away from the interview. Well... My philosophy is, you know, I I tend to keep my philosophy a bit like France. Horses are made to be horses. Mm -hmm. Please keep them as horses. And remember that every horse is different and every horse has a certain amount of ability. Not all of them are going to be superstars. And I think this is important that, uh, and the same with the riders, you know, please don't try to be something that you can't be. I mean, if you tried to teach me to be a great pianist or a great singer, I can't, Glennis. Mm. But just to remember what your horse is capable of doing and don't push it over the limit because I think that's when they start to stress and don't push them too early. And give them time and let them tell you when they're ready for the next step. And I don't think you can go wrong then. Yep. Honestly, don't. Yep. Okay. All right, then how can people contact you then, Jenny? Well, two ways are most popular, either through my website, www.brockmansridingschool.com.au, or alternatively, they're most welcome to phone me on 041-777-0312 or send me a text, or I'm also on Facebook. Okay. And is that Jenny Brockman Jenny Brockman. on Facebook? Yep. Okay. Yep. All right, then. That sounds great, Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. So any of those, Glennis, and hopefully I've been of some help to someone out there. Oh, I'm sure. And um... <laughs> yeah, No, it's good. It's, it's great just even reinforcing that. And I think some of your philosophy, some of the things that you've said, very inspiring. Yeah. And good, oh, good. some good stories there, too. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Common sense. Common <laughs> sense is number one, isn't it? Okay. Thanks very much, Glennis. Thank you. Bye. All the best. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 